What is going on, OWS fam, DFS fam, YouTube fam? Welcome to the first week one edition of the DFS Lab. I am your host, JM to win from one week season. Joining me in a moment will be Keegan, KTM128. We will be building our first practice build for this week seven slate. Before we do that, really quickly, something I wanted to mention uh, every week to all of our OWS members, free members, paid members, uh, they get the angles email. If you don't get that email, you don't want that email in your inbox, you can find it in the scroll each week. But what we do in that email is we take a top-down look at the slate, a macro look at the slate so that we have a starting point to understand what unique elements the slate in hand provides for us. And one of the things that I talked about in this week's angles email is people have a tendency to immediately jump to judgment and put their opinions and labels on things. And so a week like this, what people are going to do by and large is look at it and say, this is an ugly week, or this week sucks, or I don't know how to handle this week. And then that puts their mindset in that space. Whereas what we want to learn to do in all areas of life, but we can practice this in DFS, is process information without judgment. In other words, we just look at something and recognize that this is what this week's puzzle looks like, and our goal is to solve it. Once we look at things that way, we remove label, labels of this being a good week or a bad week, and we start to recognize that this is a puzzle like any other puzzle, and it provides some very unique components. When a puzzle provides unique components, our competition is likelier to get stumbled up by those unique components. So in a big picture sense, a week like this provides us with an edge. I wanted to drop that thought to you off the top of the slate. With that, off the top of the podcast, with that, let's get started. One week season. Keegan, what do you think about the uh, the little pep talk there? I love it. Super motivating. There we go. Uh, it, it's like, it, it's pretty funny because like right now I'm in this like mindset where I'm trying to get everything in order, like the house, my head, like my, work, <laughs> routine, my diet. And so it, it's very uh, correlating. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. And that's one of the things like I, I say all the time in, you could play DFS as a losing player I mean, people play it casually as a losing player, and that's a totally different thing. But you could take DFS seriously and lose money for several years and make a lot more money in other areas of your life or have a lot more success in other areas of your life because it's kind of a, a, a training ground. It's a really great training ground for so many other areas. And that's why you see so many people. I was actually just on Jonathan Bale's Twitter account this morning because I got a notification that he tweeted something and uh, he doesn't tweet often. And I open it up and I was like going through his tweets and it was just all incredibly sharp like macro business and life and strategy thoughts and bales started out you might not be super familiar with bales but he's like one of the was one of the top dfs players for a long time i was seeing him at the top of leaderboards this last weekend but he started fantasy labs uh, he started several other businesses that have been acquired for large sums of money uh really respected in like the he started a business that uh, mark cuban invested like over four million dollars into uh, really respected in like the business space but a lot of you know, he kind of started in DFS without that background. And then he grew through DFS into all those other areas. And there's so many people like that, that I've learned a lot from in this space that they learned a lot from playing DFS. And so uh, little things like this that we can apply to other areas of our life also have a lot of value, uh, but we get a lot of practice with it this week where I think that most people, they open this slate and they say, oh, this slate's ugly. There's all, it's all these low total games. And I don't know where the big scores are going to come from. Uh, whereas if we look at it and we just say, okay, what does this slate provide? And we don't put labels on it. Then all of a sudden our mind is open in a totally different way. And we just start to see, okay, 
it is what it is, right? It's it's not good. It's not bad. It's just this is the puzzle that we have for this week. So let's solve this puzzle. Um, with that, have you had a chance to dig into this week's slate at all? Yeah, I have. And um, I think it's quite funny that you said that because like, in, in a sense, you have this super broad outlook on the whole DFS community. And personally, I feel like sometimes I'm just in my own box and I wasn't aware that this slate looked nasty and this slate looked dirty. I just looked at the slate and I was like, I like this game, this game, this game. I like these players. Obviously, we talked about, you know, looking at every game. But what stood out to me were four games and then I wrote my players down and everything. So nice. I love that. Yeah. And the, there's a lot of value in being a, what I call a bubble builder and even me, like I'm more plugged in than you, but I'm very separated from everything compared to most other people in my position. You know, like I, I don't read a lot of other stuff. I don't listen to a lot of other stuff last week. Most weeks I listened to the NFL edge, you know, our game breakdowns. I listened to the uh, podcast on OWS with Hilo and Lord Reeves. I listened to Xanamir and Hilo's slate podcast on Saturday. Uh, this last week, I realized that there were a couple things that have been tripping me up by listening to those things. So like week six, I didn't even listen to those things. And um, just kind of one week away from those to make sure that my mind was in a place where I was fully focusing on my own thoughts. And there's that element of learning to pull in. Cause I always say like a lot of times you'll get that extra like 5% or 10% from somebody else. And you might get it from our conversations but you get that extra 5%, 10% from somebody else where it's like, oh, this sparks this thought. I hadn't seen this angle. Uh, but a lot of times just starting from your own starting point is the most valuable thing. So um, yeah, really cool that you said that about this slate. And, you know, we've got, there's only three teams implied to score more than 23 and a half points, which is obviously extremely low. And then the, you know, we've got a situation where those three teams, you know, you've got Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs who will probably score points against the Chargers, but like, does that mean great things for DFS at the attached price tags on Mahomes and Kelsey or in terms of like the, the wide receivers for Kansas City? Uh, you've got the Bills implied, it was implied to score 25, now down to 24 and a half against the Patriots team that really, even though they're they're down in the dumps, they haven't allowed big stat lines. They've played Dak, they've played Hurts, they've played Tua. None of them went for over 262 passing yards. Uh, they've played A.J. Brown, they've played Devontae Adams, they've played... Uh, Tyree Kill, they've played like this whole list of, of great wide receivers, Chris Olave. None of them have gone for over 86 yards. So it's like, okay, at the price tags on Diggs and Josh Allen, do these guys end up making sense? Uh, and then the last spot you have is the Seahawks, who nothing really stands in their way of a big game except themselves. But we've seen for you know a decade plus that this Seahawks team they play to the fourth quarter, right? They try to chess match their way to a win, enter the fourth quarter with an advantage. So they're less interested in, hey, let's get 37 points if we can. You know, if they get if they get 37 points, it's going to be a 37-27 game or 37 to 31 type game, which we've, we've seen both of those this year. If their opponent is scoring 16 points, then the Seahawks are probably scoring like 24 points. So uh, harder for the Seahawks to have a huge game without Arizona uh, also kind of helping out. So we have this interesting setup where there's not a lot of high total games and then those high or high implied team totals and those high implied team totals kind of have some bumps and bruises on them as well. So kind of creates this wide open slate, probably not a lot of 30 pointers available on this slate in terms of players producing 30 points. So yeah, creates an interesting setup where if you can find those 30 pointers, uh, you're going to be way ahead of the field. Uh, any thoughts on that on any thoughts from you on, on kind of this slate? Yeah. I'm really curious. Cause I don't ever look like most weeks. I don't look at the, the team, like the implied totals. Um, 
I'm curious what those games are. Do you want to, I kind of want to do it a certain way. So do you either want to do it? I tell you the teams that I have, and then you tell me the, the highest implied total, or you tell me the highest implied total that I tell you the teams I have. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Let's, let's, let's have you tell me the teams that you, that you have. All right. So I got the commanders giants in no specific order, by the way, I just okay. teams. Steelers, Rams, Chargers, Chiefs, and then Packers, Broncos. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. So the, you know, I don't know if you were reading any of my content late last week, or if you, you usually watch my show with Pete or listen to my show with Pete. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if you picked up that I was on that Desmond Ritter stack last week. Uh, but part of that was the, just that match against Washington and the fact that Washington has been a shootout creator this year. So, I mean, I think that Sam Howell this week has a chance to be one of the, well, I mean, one of the top point per dollar quarterbacks on the slate uh, in terms of pre-touchdown fantasy scoring. In fact, what, what I did this week was I calculated pre-touchdown pre-DraftKings bonuses. So just like in terms of starting point before any of that stuff, uh, Sam Howell, let me see, uh, averaging 10.9 points per game before touchdowns and bonuses. Okay. 10.9 stack that up against Daniel Jones is 9.6. Jordan Love is 10.4. Geno Smith is 10.2, uh, Matt Stafford, 11.2, Sam Howell, 10.9. Like he's right there with, with Matthew Stafford in terms of pre-touchdown scoring. And he's been getting more touchdowns uh, than Matthew Stafford. In fact, even Josh Allen this year is at 11.5, Sam Howell at 10.9. So, um, you know, if, if the Bills had smashed the Giants the other night and the Giants defense had continued to look bad, I would be like, dude, I'm all over Sam Howell. Now I'm kind of like, okay, the Giants could come up with a plan that, that slows him down. But if they don't, like Sam Howell is a very sharp way to go. I was actually, I made a note to myself this morning. I need to look up. I don't think that the Giants pass catchers had many, if any, tournament viable scores last year. And yet Daniel Jones had three or four games where he could have won you a tournament. So if it's Tyrod Taylor under center, you know, he rushed for 24 yards the other night on five carries. Um, Tyrod Taylor could genuinely put up, 23 points, 25 points without any of his pass catchers. Uh, Dude, you, want to, you want to jump in? Did Kadarius Tony, um, he played for the Giants last year, right? He got traded like partway through the season, but he was, he I'm had kidding. a hamstring injury that um, after he got traded, he kind of pretended like it hadn't been a real injury and that that, and that like he had basically been sitting out. And then like right away, he got injured. I feel like either him or Darius um, Slayton had a, decent like almost maybe tournament score yeah i'm pretty sure i looked through slayton earlier this year i'm pretty sure he hasn't topped like 18 points since 2020 oh really um but you know he's got those at his price tag that's fine right you get those 15 to 18 points but also if you miss out on it it's not a, a huge deal um and so there's a, what i'm getting at is like there's a potential that like a tie rod naked would actually be interesting because i don't think like i think that people will catch on to this matchup against Washington and be like, oh, this passing attack, but then they're going to guess, you know, and maybe Jalen Hyatt, he was out there a lot of the snaps this last week. Maybe he ends up having his first big game. Uh, maybe Wondell Robinson, who has, I think it's 22 catches and 140 something yards. So like, well, it's like seven yards a catch, you know, which is um, pretty awful from an upside perspective. But every once in a while, those types of guys can break off, you know, one long gain and um, have a really good game. Maybe Darius Slayton. But like, the thing is, the, the catches will pile up on Wondell Robinson. Uh, the yards come not from Wondell Robinson, but from like Darius Slayton, but on fewer catches or Jalen Hyatt, fewer catches. The touchdowns might come to some random dude and then Tyrod Taylor might run one in and everybody who's playing Tyrod is like, 
trying to figure out who to pair him with. And then maybe the answer is no one. Right. So I think that's an interesting angle to play on that one. Um, Chiefs and Chargers. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? Also two, two well, one really good defense in the Chiefs. And then, um, uh, you know, the pricing doesn't change. So really high price tags on the Chargers going against, uh, you know, Brian Baldinger, who knows the NFL as, uh, NFL as well as anyone said this last week that the Chiefs might have the most, or he didn't say, I don't think he said might, said the Chiefs have the most complete defense in the NFL. So putting them up against the 49ers, the Lions, the Browns, all these other great defenses, like the Chiefs are up there. So kind of harder for the Chargers to hit at their price tags. That doesn't mean I'm taking them totally off my list, but that game probably comes in under expectations. Uh, and then obviously the Kansas City side, they probably score, but how do you know where those points are coming from? Like the pass catchers or if they do it all. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, uh, the Rams and Steelers, I think it's really interesting. Rams defense has been excellent, but also the Steelers are coming off of a bye. So outside shot that the Steelers offense looks better. Uh, Deontay Johnson should be back. And then, and then obviously the, the Rams passing attack is attractive. The Rams uh, backfield is attractive if we, if we get any clarity. And even if not, you know, if you guess right, that's ends up being really valuable. Uh, and then the Broncos and uh, Packers game. Yeah. The Packers are super interesting. And I think, you know, Russ has like one game below 19 DraftKings points. So not a good matchup against the Packers pass defense, but also wouldn't be shocking if Russ puts together a solid game. So I think that the Broncos side is a little bit interesting as well. So um, maybe he could uh, rush a little bit like he did against the yeah. Cowboys. You see that, that touchdown? He can get he can get one of those random 30-point uh, <laughs> games where you're like, wait, how did that happen? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that, I think all of these are – I think all of these are interesting spots and probably, yeah, that probably highlights, you know, I think Las Vegas, Chicago is also interesting. Cleveland against India is also interesting. Um, but yeah, that kind of highlights the spots that are most standing out to me. I also like Arizona and Seattle. So, you know, I mean, I guess that's 10 games and we've just mentioned six or seven of them, but um, yeah, I also um, like those three as well. Uh, I like the Arizona Seattle one probably more than the other ones, but uh I was just hesitant because Fields is doubtful, I think, at the moment. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Fields won't be playing. It'll be Tyson Badgent, which, I mean, might not be much worse than um, than Fields from a standpoint of, like, for the pass catchers, you know, uh, because Badgent's not going to be running. So that's, that just basically means more pass attempts. Okay. Um, Badgent, like, I don't know a ton about him. He's a confident kid. He's, I mean, kid, he's, you know, in his early twenties, um, he's your age. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, he's, you know, he's a confident dude. He's seems like he has his head on, right. He understands the offense. Well, uh, if I remember correctly, he came from division two and he, you know, it's his, it's his rookie year. So that's a big leap. He'll probably make a couple of mistakes, but he also seems to have kind of like a, um, a confidence and gunslinger type attitude that where he's going to take those shots. Um, Oakland pass defense has been really good this year, actually. So that kind of puts a damper on it. But um, yeah, I mean, there's just some interesting elements there. And obviously the the Raiders offense going against the Chicago defense that's that's improving, but still not scary. Uh, Jimmy G is probably out, but how much of a downgrade is that for the skill position players? Probably yeah. not much. Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah. And so the slate is kind of spread out, but also I think it's important to recognize there's probably not well, there, I mean, there could end up being one game that just like goes way above all the others, but the likeliest outcome is that there's not. 
And so then also it kind of becomes more about who on this slate can score 30 points. And so like the, the teams that you mentioned, like all have players that can score 30 points. And that's kind of my, my focus this week drifts a little bit outside of team-based stuff and a little bit more toward, you know, if there's only like four or five 30 point scores across the entire slate, can I get them all right? And um, and then the best is if you're kind of on one of these players that other people just aren't on. They're three percent owned or five percent owned, and they get the thirty pointer because now if you pair that with the other more popular ones, you're way ahead of everybody else. Uh, I will say this morning I built a practice build with uh, Josh Dobbs and Hollywood Brown, and then I took that same exact structure and switched it to Sam Howell and Terry McLaurin, and then I took that same exact structure. And I switched it to Jordan Love and Christian Watson. So like, there's a lot that you can kind of play around with in this 5K quarterback, 5K wide receiver sort of setup this week. That's that's interesting and attractive. Um, so yeah, uh, I feel like that gives us a good kind of sense of the week. You got anything else to hit on before we uh, before we dive into building a roster? Yeah, um, it's just about diving in. So I, I kind of want to go two two different ways possibly with this. Uh, with today, I either want to try and uh, do a Commanders Giants based roster, and then maybe throw in try to fit Puka in there, um, or we could get Steelers Rams and try to just fit in some other pieces. But I want to get one or two of those ways. So, what is the thought behind Puka over Cup? Um, <laughs> man, this is where you talked about like having listening to other people um, affect your your opinion. But, I mean, it made sense when I heard it. Uh, he was talking about, like, wide receiver two, I think, or something like that, getting a lot more um, attention against the Steelers. And he – I mean, he brought out the stats and he showed it um, pretty pretty well. It looked reasonably good. So I just am kind of trying to lean towards that and see uh, if I can do anything with it. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be – I wouldn't be particularly concerned about Cooper Cup's ability to get open. You yeah, know, no, you know, and it was it was Nico Collins who put up the thirty-eight pointer in Week Four. He was a wide receiver one. It was um, did Devontae Adams have a down game against him in in Week Three? I guess I can check that real quickly. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm certainly. I, I mean, it's not a bad. I mean, Devontae Adams had forty-five point two DraftKings points against them in Week Three. Uh, which is by far his best game of the season. So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be too I worried. Here's what I'll say. I, I would, I would say that Cooper cup is by far the favorite to have the top score from the Rams offense. But I also think sometimes having different information is better than having better information because then it puts you onto a different play. Right. So let's say that Puka Nakua is, you know, 15% of the time he has a, the big score from the Rams wideouts. So, and then 85% of the time it's Cooper cup, but let's say that like the Delta between ownership is even broader than that, right. To where cup is 10 times higher owned than Puka, but only like seven times as likely to have the big game. Uh, then it ends up being valuable because the times when Puka does hit, you know, the ownership is lower. I think the cup will be popular this week because there's so little certainty and so few spots to get 30 plus points the people are going to be like, well, Cooper cup is going to get 25 to 35 every week. So let me like lock that in. Um, so if that ends up, and I don't think that's a wrong thought either. Like I'm, I'm, I'll be heavy on cup this week, but I'll also balance that with some, with some Puka. 
um, and probably at that, like, like if I have 60% cup, I'll probably have like 15% puka just to say, what if, you know, but I wouldn't get too married to that thought either to where you are, are like, look at your builds on, um, on Sunday morning. You're like, all right, I've got like five times as much puka as <laughs> because then realistically, like your weekend is in that basket and, yeah. and you're like taking the lower end, which is fine if that's like how you want to play. But that, that ends up being this thing where like, you're gonna have a lot of missing weeks uh, and then hopefully get that one big hit. So um, yeah. Yeah. I also looked at it a different way as well, though. Like I wasn't, I, this was just one way I looked at it. Another way I looked at it was um, possibly stacking the two with the, the QB and saying that those three get a huge game, which is possible. Totally possible. Both could go over a hundred yards for sure. Totally possible. And I, you know, I was looking through the numbers last week because, because I had, you know, plenty of Stafford last week and it was kind of saying like, if everything comes together for Cup and Nakua, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but I was running them last week, they probably get you like 55 DraftKings points, um, which now, which and they kind of get up to like 60 combined, which now they cost 17.1K combined salary. So you would need 68 points to keep you on a 100-point pace. They would fall a little bit shy of that, but also just a ton of points is super valuable. Um, and then also, if the two of them are hitting at their price tags, you know that that means that Stafford is also hitting because that means touchdowns are going to them. And all Stafford's been missing is the touchdowns. And I think that one of the things we can overlook in something like this is, is it likely that Stafford throws four touchdowns? No, but that's also possible, you know? And then all of a sudden Stafford throws for 325, that's 16 points right there. And he throws for four times. He usually gets one or two points on the ground. So let's put him up to 18 points. He throws four touchdowns, that's 34 points. And those four touchdowns go to Cup and Nakua. Like most people won't have that build. Like a lot of people will be on Stafford. A lot of people will be on Cup. Some people will be on Puka. Not a lot of people will have all of them together. So if you actually have that game where, oh my gosh, like the Steelers' pass defense is continuing to struggle, Stafford's throwing for four touchdown passes. Yeah. You, like everyone's kind of betting on Stafford having a good game, but then you're the only one really placing that full bet. So yeah, I like that angle as well. I think that's an interesting way to go. Um, so with that, let's pull up your uh, your screen and where do you want to start on this one? Because I'm good with with uh, any of those options that you laid out. Let's start with the uh, let's do the commanders. Actually, I don't. I want to see if it's possible if we can do that because that's expensive. Um, let's try it. Let's try it out. With, uh, try the uh, cup and Nakua and, yeah, and yeah. Stafford. Okay. Um, so one thing we could also think about here is throwing in Zach Evans, which kind of offsets some of the cost of it. Yeah. Um, interesting, interesting thing I was kind of digging into earlier this week. So we've had two bad games from the Rams backfield mm -hmm. uh, and four really good games, okay? In the two bad games, the Rams wide receiver one had their worst games of the season. In the four good games from the Rams running backs, the Rams wide receiver one scored 28 plus DraftKings points. So in other words, most people would think of this as like, oh, I'll play either the Rams running back or their wide receiver one, but they've actually been positively correlated. If the Rams running back is having a big game, the Rams wide receiver one is having a big game and vice versa. And which makes a lot of sense because it's a concentrated offense and the Rams running back is going to derive a lot of their value from touchdowns. And in order to get those touchdowns, they need the Rams wide receiver one 
to be catching passes and getting yards, right? And so um, the games where the Rams running back is kind of disappointing, then Puka or Cup, you know, depending on who was the wide receiver one in that particular week, uh, ended up kind of disappointing compared to what they've done in their other games. The games where the Rams backfield is doing really well, the Rams wide receiver one has done really well. So this kind of goes even over that and says, hey, we're basically betting on the Rams scoring four or five touchdowns. The cool thing about a build like this is if the Rams score five touchdowns, they're, they might be the only team, literally, literally might be the only team on the entire slate to score more than three touchdowns. You know, it could be 19 teams score three or fewer touchdowns, Rams score five touchdowns. Yeah. Um, and then you have this overstack that people just won't have and it actually pays off, right? And obviously we're spending, what do we say, 17.6 for those two uh plus 10.5 so we're spending 27.6k in salary but can they combine for 100 points they can um we've seen what like i don't know four times already rams running back and the rams top two wide receivers back when it was like two two and and cup we've seen them combine for about 75 points so you throw a 30 pointer from stafford on top of that and you're actually getting the score that you need from this block of points to keep you on a 100 point pace um yeah. And the, I feel like Zach Evans is probably going to be high owned, but just not in this type of uh, build. Not in this type of build. Exactly. And the, the one kind of wrench in this is we actually don't know, you know, Zach Evans is a rookie sixth rounder um, who was the third string back, you know, as of last week. And yes, he was the only active back, but we also have to keep in mind that a running back's responsibilities in the NFL are far broader than just running the ball, right? It's about pass protection. It's about understanding all the nuances of the game. And so there is that fear, that threat that, yeah, Royce Freeman was on the practice squad. Yeah, Daryl Henderson was on the couch, but Daryl Henderson, like they can trust him in pass protection. Royce Freeman, he's a vet. They can trust him in pass protection. So it could be a situation where Zach Evans is actually only seeing 12 carries and one target, you know, and, and, um, somebody else is getting a lot of the work. So no information on this yet. Uh, watched yesterday's press conferences with player, like locker room interviews with players. Zach Evans basically said, they haven't told me anything yet. Uh, he said, I could possibly be starting, you know, and he was just talking about the opportunity. Um, and he was just, you know, supposing that based on situation. Right. Uh, but, you know, he was also talking about going up against Aaron Donald every day in practice for like pass protection and, um, saying like how prepared he feels in that regard. So there's a lot up in the air and this is kind of a Evans is a high risk play in the sense that he could be popular and get like six points, you know, and then um, the people who avoid him are way ahead of the field. So we have to think about that as well. But I basically for me, if I'm playing Evans, I will only be playing him on rosters with Cooper cup or Puka Nakua because of that understanding that a Evans will probably be popular B these guys are positively correlated and see most people won't realize they're positively correlated. So you play him. Yeah. He's popular, but you play him in a unique way. And then if he hits, you're kind of ahead of, of everybody else. Cause you're getting the other guy who's also hitting on that team. So uh, yeah, I like this setup and obviously add some risk, but um, not a bad place to be. Cool. Uh, do we want to bring back on this or are we going to just say they're not going to really score many points at all? Yeah. I've been, I've been back and forth on, um, you know, Deontay Johnson, this is off the top of my head, but I don't think he scored, I don't think he topped 20 DraftKings points a single time last season um, with Kenny Pickett under center. Like it's just, 
it just hasn't been um, like a positive environment for Deontay Johnson. But then when, uh, when Deontay Johnson comes back on the field, that takes away opportunities for George Pickens to have a big game. So um, given what we've seen from this offense to date, it's not super attractive. Um, and I could see the Rams, you know, throwing for 300 yards and scoring four touchdowns in like a 30 to 13 game. So I don't think we need a bring back. And I would kind of start from a starting point of not forcing it, but then saying we can leave that open for ourselves uh, if we want. You know, if if Deontay Johnson's out, which I don't think he will be, then George Pickens is interesting because it's a bad matchup, but he's also like been central to their to their game plan. And, he, you know, he has big play upside. Uh, yeah, Deontay Johnson's best game last year was 20 points even. Uh, his second best game is DraftKings scoring. His second best game last year was 16.4 points. So, um, you know, what changes there that he's dramatically better, right? He's going to go for a 25-pointer in this tough matchup. So then it kind of becomes Pickett, uh, Pickens, but then Pickens kind of gets uh, some of the shine taken off him by Deontay Johnson being back. So, yeah, I don't mind no bring back here. Yeah, cool. Well, if we're going to just leave that up to question, then um, maybe we can see if we can fit Brian Robinson in here. What do you think about that? Yeah. So what's the um, appeal with Brian Robinson? Just getting some action from that. Um, yeah. From that particular game. action from that game. And then he's uh, I like his price point on top of his uh, upside, his ceiling. Cool. Yeah. We can throw Brian Robinson in there. Um, we get some savings, you know, at, at running back. We got to keep in mind that obviously the chances of Brian Robinson, the way I would think through this is we need a hunt for 30 point scores. Right. And the chance of him getting 30 points are pretty low. And you've got like Aaron Jones, who's one K more than him. Uh, you've got Josh Jacobs, who's 1600 more than him in terms of pre-touchdown scoring, so what his like opportunity is from a, a floor to launch off of, with once he starts getting the touchdowns, uh, Brian Robinson on the year, let me see, uh, only 8.8 .8 pre-touchdown DraftKings points per game. Uh, compare that to Jerome Ford, who's at 9.5 um, and, and cheaper than him. And Jerome Ford, if you take away that rain game in Cincinnati where Chubb was also playing the full game, uh, Jerome Ford jumps up to 11 pre-touchdown DraftKings points per game. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco, 11.5. So almost three full pre-touchdown points per game more than Robinson uh, at basically the same price tag. Uh, Aaron Jones, 12.4 last year. Um, so, you know, you pay 1K more and get three and a half more points per game before touchdowns. Um, so, you know, I'm not like high on Brian Robinson myself, but at the same time, so I just lay that out to say how I'm seeing him. But I also like the idea of, of saying, yeah, but I'll throw that out the window and I just want to bet on this offense saying they could score 30 points and two of those touchdowns flow through the, run, through the running back. He gets 100 yards and he, yes, his typical game is this, but I think he can get an outlier game in this spot. Yeah, and I also think that um, I like lean towards him as well just because I'm trying to get us uh, a little more salary because we are looking low. Obviously, we still have to get defense, but um, he's the second cheapest on my list um do you have jerome ford on your list i don't where's jerome i would ford? i would add him uh i would add him to your list he's got um What's his let's price? see his last four games he has five five seven and three uh DraftKings points through the air um mm -hmm. he's gonna get you know 17 ish carries uh and especially if if sean watson's out again in a game that the browns should kind of be in control of 
he should get those 15 to 17 carries. He gets a few targets. Uh, like I said, if you take away that Cincinnati game where Chubb was fully healthy, that game was in the, in really bad conditions, take out that game and he's averaging 11 pre-touchdown points per game, which is really solid. Um, again, that kind of puts him in, he should be priced more like 5.5, 5.7K. Um, and, you know, the touchdown opportunities can be there as well. So I would add him, add him to the list. Um, who's the other guy cheaper than Robinson that you have on your list? Uh, Zach Evans. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, 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 obviously. Um, yeah, Kareem Hunt's sort of interesting on the fringes. Roshan Johnson, um, sort of interesting on the fringes, assuming he comes back from his concussion this week. But, yeah, those are the only guys I have between Brian Robinson and, and Zach Evans are, um, you know, Jerome Ford is a guy I actually like, and then Hunt and Roshan kind of on the fringes of my of my pool of interest. Okay, yeah, I'm actually totally fine um, because, actually, I don't mind this game at all. So I'm totally fine with that. Uh pivoting off of well let, let's keep robinson in on this one um okay. just to see if we can do it and and i want to kind of stick with again these are practice builds right so what we want to think through is if we put this player on our roster what are we saying and what does that mean right and so um this opportunity to say maybe brian robinson isn't the best on paper play but he can he can hit in this game environment uh, we probably don't want to pay up for the washington defense but that would be a story where we say okay, Brian Robinson is hitting. That probably means that Washington is in control of this game. And so maybe we get the Washington defense scoring like 12 to 14 points against Tyrod Taylor or Daniel Jones, this bad offensive line, uh, and pair that with Brian Robinson. Might not work salary-wise, but that's just the sort of thing we can think through of like, how does Brian Robinson have his outlier game? Uh, has it probably from Washington sort of dominating this one? Um, but yeah, we're going to be going kind of cheap, cheap, cheap. So we can go... We can throw a defense in. Do you have a cheap defense that you uh, that you like this week? What's funny is, like this year compared to last year, defense wise, I I've been a lot more unsure. But uh, the two defenses I do have are the Lions and the Bucks so far. I like the I like the Bucks. Um, yeah, the yeah, obviously we kind of can't ignore the Browns at only thirty three hundred going against Gardner Minshew. Uh, I got to tell you the. Um, so two, last week I finished third place in the slant out of like 20,000 plus entries awesome. had the Patriots defense and had, I had the lions defense, which I had the salary for, I would have gotten first place uh, for an extra 10 K uh, three weeks ago, finished second in the double spy had the Patriots defense. Had I had basically any, I lost by one point to first place and I had basically any other defense um, would have gotten first place. That's 40 K uh out of pocket because i'm playing the patriots defense abby told me that she's going to ask me on on sunday if i'm playing the patriots defense <laughs> to confirm that i'm not and yet they are only 2100 and they're still like like they're not going to get blown out by the uh by the bills you know they're, they're going to be solid so uh that's the cheapest you could go and they are the cheapest defense on the slate but um yeah we're kind of in this in this lower range where like you've got some solid defenses but playing really good offenses, you know, Kansas city has been excellent. Yeah. Arrow had a tough place to play, but they're like, Justin Herbert's not going to throw a ton of picks or take a ton of sacks. Um, Baltimore has been lights out this year. They're at home, but Jared Goff's not going to take a ton of sacks. He's not going to throw a ton of picks. Um, you know, even, even taking Detroit, obviously Lamar Jackson takes more sacks. Um, but the Ravens are going to be pretty clean. It's not like you're going to get like a 15 point game from, from the Lions defense. So yeah, like all of these kind of sub 3K, nothing really stands out to me. Um, and then you've got to kind of get up to like, 
uh, Washington taking on, you know, the Giants offensive line. You got to get up to uh, the Raiders who aren't that good, like in terms of creating pressure and forcing mistakes, taking on Tyson Badgett, uh, get up to Buffalo all the way up at 4,200, taking on Mac Jones. Um, I think that the Steelers are, are interesting just because, you know, open up their game logs, you see the 17 sacks already. You have the, the minus one pointer against Houston, but everything else, you know, three double digit games are always in play. But um, yeah, nothing like, stands out at uh at defense this week um so yeah i'm i'm, kind of, I'm totally fine going detroit and then we just see what salary we have uh for our other spots you know i also i glanced at the patriots um but then i looked at their game log and it, it just made me leave that alone uh, so good on you because <laughs> um, i have this like um mental note in my head I don't know if it's just from like my childhood or what, but like I never play against the Patriots defense, like generally speaking. Yeah. Just because of Belichick, but uh, I don't well, know. I mean, that's still been, that's still been sharp this year. Like, like they blanked, you know, Devonte Adams and AJ Brown and Chris Olave and Tyree kill. Like, you know, people aren't putting up big games against them, but it's just their offense is so bad that they're, giving the opponent all these short fields, the opponent doesn't have to stay aggressive and take sacks. Uh, and then, you know, they've got injuries in the secondary injuries on the defensive line to where they're not able to get after the quarterback the way that they could last year. So it's like, they're able to prevent big games from happening, but they're not able to make plays right now. But I still feel like, I mean, Abby doesn't watch this show, so I can say, it. I still feel like it's going to change, um, <laughs> but yeah. I, I don't know how much, I can put behind that anymore, given that yeah. I would have forty thousand extra dollars if I had <laughs> not played the Patriots defense <laughs> two of the last three weeks. Um, but yeah, uh, let's let's go ahead and throw in the Lions and then kind of see what that does to our our salary because I think we'll actually be. I mean, yeah, like now we put in the tight end, and obviously, uh, you know, we can think about the fact that if it's going to be hard to get thirty pointers, uh, like a guy like Mark Andrews is sitting up here who could put up that type of score. Um, here's one, you know, so last week, last week I had that Ritter, London, Jonu Smith stack, right? And I went on to Pete's show and I had no, it was, it was like a total bubble build week for me. So I had no idea until his reaction and the chat's reaction that people were going to perceive that as an ugly build. Like I wasn't going out of my way to say like, what's the ugliest build I can come up with? I was just saying, what do I think is going to win a tournament this week? Right. And that yeah. kind of stood out to me. Uh, but I noticed that there was a lot of people who had big weekends this last week using that that stack. And we got all the tweets coming in over the weekend. And I was looking at the rosters and almost all of them used Kyle Pitts instead of Jonu Smith uh, because it's like, yeah, but I'm not going to play Jonu Smith. And it's funny that people have that perception because the two guys have been playing basically the same number of snaps as each other. Uh, they're both on the field, like I think it's about two thirds of the time. So they're on the field together a lot. They're both integral to the offense. And in terms of, this is pretty crazy. In terms of pre-touchdown points per game, PPR points per game, takeaway touchdowns, just who gets the targets, the catches, the yards. Jonu Smith's pre-touchdown PPR points per game is almost identical to Mark Andrews. Six weeks into the season. Like, so this dude is like an integral part of the offense as much as Mark Andrews is an integral part of the uh, Ravens offense. So is Johnny Smith going to have fewer opportunities for touchdowns than Mark Andrews? Generally speaking, yes. But also like in the context of this week, 
the Ravens are going against the Lions, right? We like the Lions' defense on this roster. Uh, we recognize that the Ravens probably aren't scoring four or five touchdowns this week. So they're scoring two or three touchdowns. Atlanta's scoring two or three touchdowns. So Johnny Smith, like, if you're going cheap, he continues to stand out to me as just a guy that's like, oh, he's underpriced and nobody realizes it, which is the best sort of thing where you're not taking a dumb play to, to be different. You're taking one of the sharpest plays by the numbers on paper, uh, and and yet people aren't on it because they, they just don't see it. What about Logan Thomas and Luke Musgrave? Yeah, well, we can go to either of those guys, but I kind of think that proves my point, right? Is that like, if you mentioned Donnie Smith, people are like, oh, cool. What about, what about this guy? <laughs> I just did it. <laughs> um, like they, nobody wants to play that guy. I mean, like what, what Luke Musgrave has done in terms of pre-touchdown DraftKings points per game, he's got like, he's averaging about five per, just yeah. over five per game. Uh, John o. Smith is averaging nine and a half pre-touch, pre-touchdown PPR points per game, right? So it's like the gap between, um, the gap between John o. Smith and the other tight ends is sizable and other people don't. Okay, John o. Smith, ready for this? He's averaging 10.6 pre-touchdown PPR points per game. That means that he should be, that's like, um, who do we, like, that's, that's, almost up to Isaiah Pacheco. That's uh, well above Brian Robinson. That's like up in Jerome Ford range. This is a guy who should be priced at about 5K and he's priced at 3.6K. So Logan Thomas, uh, 7.5 pre-touchdown PPR points per game. David Njoku, 7. Uh, Luke Musgrave, 6.8, right? Johnny Smith is like, his usage is, is there and people just don't want to play him. So I, I'm not saying I'm playing Johnny Smith on every roster, but it's like that proves the point, right? That nobody actually wants to play this guy. Is he getting these points basically just because I don't see any like very many touchdowns? He has one touchdown. One touchdown in the year. Yeah. This is just, this and is just, I mean, look at the targets. Volume. Yeah. That's crazy. It's there. Like it's a schemed part of this passing attack. It's not like he's, he's tripping into targets as a tight end, too. Like he's the, Drake London's the number one option on this offense through the air. And then like Johnny Smith, Kyle Pitts and Bijan Robinson all have schemed usage around that. And so, um, you know, and, and Ritter, I think it was last year, this is the stat I had last week, but I think Ritter didn't top 30 pass attempts a single time last year was what it was, but he's been above that mark every game this year. So like they're letting him throw it a little bit more teams are forcing the Falcons to not run the ball. They're forcing them to win through the air. I'm sure Tampa will do the same thing this week. So uh, I think that the volume will continue will continue to be there. Um, you know, what is this three straight games with with double digit yeah. DraftKings points? Only one touchdown in there. Um, Almost times three his salary. So yeah, that's pretty yeah. Great. I mean, people just aren't aren't really seeing this play, and so it's it's definitely one to highlight and think about. And I'll I'll be you know dramatically overweight the field, not because I'm trying to be, but just because like I'll look through who the sharpest plays are, and I'll be like, okay, I, I mean, I don't know what the number will be, but I'll be like. I want 18% of my rosters to have John o. Smith or 26% of my rosters to have John o. Smith because he's that underpriced compared to all the other guys around him, you know, and I'll still have 8% Logan Thomas or, you know, 6%, 10% Luke Musgrave, whatever it ends up being, but like I'll have more John o. Smith than those guys. And then it, it ends up being the double bonus because most people will just ignore him. And even last week, everyone took Kyle Pitts on that roster because they're like, well, I don't want to play John o. Smith. Um, like nobody wants to play Kyle Pitts either, yet they would have preferred him over Johnny Smith. 
<laughs> Nobody wants to play Kyle Pitts either. No, I loved Kyle Pitts last year. I gave him so many chances and it did not work out. That's why nobody wants to play him. <laughs> All last year, everyone like the price kept dropping. And everyone's like, "Yeah, I'll take a swing you here." Do it. Just wait. Um, <laughs> so we're an interesting point with salary in that you know there's like Hollywood Brown, yeah. fifty three hundred, Terry McLaurin, fifty four hundred but we have like 5150 per player. So our options are kind of like go cheap and pay up, which is also kind of weird cuz like a lot of the 5k wide receivers are better on paper than the 6k wide receivers. So you go cheap and then you're kind of in that 6k range that isn't isn't really gaining you a material advantage on paper. Uh, or we kind of move around a piece somewhere which could be the yeah, you've been looking at Curtis Samuel? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which could be that moving down to Jerome Ford, you know, from Brian Robinson. Yep. And then we'd actually have the salary for like a, a McLaurin uh, plus Hollywood Brown or something like that. Okay. Um, or McLaurin plus Christian Watson. I don't know if we'd have quite enough for that, but, um, but yeah, so those are kind of the options is we, if we go cheap, we can't even go to like the 3,500 Wondell Robinson. You got to go kind of all the way down to like the three K Jalen Hyatt. Because then you'd free up the salary to get up to like Aaron Jones or somebody in that range. Um, or or again, you know, we go, which that could actually work too. We could go like Aaron Jones, Jalen Hyatt, and then actually swap Brian Robinson for one of these 5K wide receivers who have more ceiling than, than he has. Okay, so put Aaron Jones in the flex. Is that what you're saying? So it would either be replace Brian Robinson with Aaron Jones because then I would rather have one of these 5K wide receivers than Brian Robinson. Uh, mm -hmm. Or replace Brian Robinson with Jerome Ford and go a couple mid-range wideouts. Okay, cool. I I like the I want to put Marquise Brown in, so I'm totally cool with going the mid-range wideouts. Okay, so we go Jerome Ford, and then we put uh, Marquise Brown, and we kind of see what that last um, bit of salary. This is going to get us right on the right right below Christian Watson, and so right on to the you know still a sort of a sharp. Um, oh no, this is 5,500 per player, so. Yeah, we can put Hollywood Brown and we have we have room to go Christian Watson if we want, Terry McLaurin if we want. Uh, we've taken out Brian Robinson, right? So we can still bet on – Zay Flowers also a really sharp play this week. Um, we could uh, play Terry McLaurin to still get exposure to this Washington passing attack or we could go Christian Watson or we could go um, Zay Flowers. I think a, a tendency for a lot of people here is to like max the salary because they don't want to leave 300 on the on the table. But – like once you start doing optimizer builds, you realize you're frequently leaving 500, 600 on the table. Sometimes it's just like, you know, the best way to build. And then you recognize most people don't do that. So your roster, you know, competes against a few fewer rosters. So um, yeah, I I mean, this is actually a really interesting. I was just curious. Uh, this is a really interesting um, build. Yeah. Because we get two of these sharp mid-range wide receivers we get two pay-up wide receivers, which I don't think many people will have this week. Um, and we get this like bet on Stafford. And basically, this bet on the Rams being the only offense that scores like four or five touchdowns, and we kind of get all the points. We also have, uh, not quite, but we almost have the salary to, if we wanted like to build a second version of this, to move from Puka up to Devonte Adams, we would be 300 shy of that, right? So then you could say, okay, well, I'll go down at tight end or go down at defense, and be able to get up to um, like Devonte Adams, who's kind of a squeaky wheel narrative this week. And if Aiden O'Connell starts, O'Connell did pepper him with targets 
um, in that first game. Devontae Adams complained this week. He said that uh, basically that he's not as concerned about wins and losses as he is about greatness. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that's not a Josh McDaniels, and that's not a way to get in Josh McDaniels' favor, but at the same time, a lot of times you see those guys, like teams kind of go out of their way to feed guys after comments like that. So um, I think Devontae Adams, people, people will be down on him because of the down games and Jimmy G potentially being out. Uh, they're kind of going through the week with quarterback uncertainty. So yeah, there's a way to then build a second version of this where you say, all right, let me save a little bit at tight end or defense and go. You still got cup Evan Stafford. And then you get Devontae Adams with Cooper cup, which is again, something people just won't have. So um, yeah, really cool, really cool build here where we give ourselves um, you know, potential for a hundred points from our, our Rams core. So then you ask, can we get to a hundred points from the rest of the guys? Uh, Hollywood can get to 25. McLaurin can get to 30. Um, John Smith can get to 15. So that puts us at 70. Uh, Jerome Ford plus the Lions defense can easily add 30 points themselves. That can get us to 200 points on a week when 200 points will be hard to get. So um, yeah, I, I like this. Um, I like the build. And it's a fun kind of approach that we took to it. Sweet. Yeah, me too, man. Uh, I don't have anything else to say. All right. <laughs> um, with that, I think that that does it for today's show. So uh, with that, as always, thanks for hanging out. It's fun to do these shows. You know, the I feel like I haven't seen you in ages because oh, we weren't able to do the show that we recorded on Friday. Yeah, uh, we didn't do last it. Last we time done with the Wednesday shows. Last time we were talking, it was about the uh, the Rasheed Rice parlay that I had, and it hit. Yeah, and it hit. That's right. I was thinking about you uh, during Thursday Night Football when, when <laughs> he, it was like he was under it for a long time and he had like yeah. one more catch that shot him up over it. Um, yeah, the uh, it's funny to have these early week convo convos because thoughts develop so much, I feel like, on Friday and Saturday that sometimes these – it's like I'll look back on these thoughts and be like, whoa, those were like really early stage thoughts. But they right now they feel like deeper stage thoughts, which is valuable because you just kind of keep pushing yourself farther down the path of – understanding what the slate looks like and, and kind of being in position to uh, build sharp rosters by Saturday night, Sunday morning. So um, yeah, as always, Keegan, thanks for hanging out. Viewers, listeners, thanks for hanging out. We will see you back here. We record again tomorrow, Friday. That goes live Friday night or Saturday on the OWS YouTube channel, OWS podcast feed. So uh, we will see you back there on that podcast. We will see you on the site throughout the weekend. And as has been the case week in and week out the season, we will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday.